I read the story of a man from rural Indiana named Charles Calvin. Charles is a volunteer firefighter. And during the COVID pandemic, he was anxiously awaiting his stimulus money from the government to help him to be able to make ends meet. $1,700. And he and his family were really struggling financially. He went to the ATM to withdraw $200 to help pay his rent, hoping that his stimulus money had been deposited. After withdrawal, he looked at the balance on his ATM receipt, and it said $8.2 million. It was like winning the lottery, he thought. He went in, by the way, he put his card back in the machine, checked his balance a second time, and sure enough, $8.2 million. He went into the convenience store to talk to the clerk and showed her the receipt. And she looked at that and said, you got that much money? No, he said, I'm, she said, I'm dirt poor. And that's what he said. I'm waiting on my stimulus money. And I looked at this receipt, and I couldn't believe it. And he asked, have there been any problems with this machine? And she said, not that I'm aware of. It was a weekend, so he talked to a friend of his who was a police officer about it, and he suggested that he would call his bank on Monday, which he did. And unfortunately, the bank teller gave him the bad news that the $8.2 million balance was not there. However... His stimulus money was. For a day or so, he didn't have a care in the world. Then he faced the reality that he still barely had enough money to make ends meet, to make his rent and so forth. He said it was like being on a roller coaster ride. His experience points us to the larger truth that in one way or another, we all experience financial stress. Money is one of the biggest stressors in our lives. And if you're a guest with us today, our message series this spring after Easter has been on help uh, with God's help trying to live with less stress. And today we're focusing on how to do that in our finances. A little bit of data for you. Ramsey Solutions reported in a recent blog that 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck every single month. There is more month left than there is paycheck in many people's households. More is going out than is coming in. It's a dangerous balancing act. And any second, you feel like you can tip over. And then what? Another study. American Psychological Association found that 72% of Americans feel stressed about money and finances. And many Americans rank personal finances as their number one cause of stress. In marriages, many rank it number one. It generally falls within the top three, though.
children who observe their families arguing about finances can express that stress in their own lives. As they go to school, they will often have moody behavior, increased anger or aggression, inexplicable illnesses, and even poor academic ex- uh, performance. It affects everybody, and y'all know what that means. Let's just for a moment recap our understanding of what stress is. It's a prolonged activation of the human body's defensive fight-or-flight mechanism. God designed us that way. When we are in stressful situations, our fight-or-flight mechanisms help us to have the strength and the courage and the energy to make it through, and then we settle back down into our normal life patterns. But when stressors continue to affect us, our body starts to exist in fight-or-flight mode all the time, and that is very unhealthy for us. The result can be anxiety, continued prolonged anxiety, anger, worry, sadness, depression, and other health problems. We know that we'll always have some element of stress with our money and finances. That's a given. We're here to say that with God's help, we can have less financial stress. We can trust him more and more with our day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year finances and have less stress, more financial ease, and less uncertainty and dissatisfaction. Today's scripture lesson is from the book of 1 Timothy. It's one of the pastoral epistles. First and 2 Timothy and then Titus are all three of those. Timothy was one of the Apostle Paul's protégés, so much so that Paul refers to him in chapter 1, verse 2, as his true son in the faith. There's a lot of uh, scholarly uh, discussion over the years about whether Paul wrote the letters or whether one of his protégés wrote it or whether it emerged later on out of his missionary journey. Uh, But today we're following the consensus of scholarship that this is Pauline, and he's writing to Timothy, who is leading the churches in and around Ephesus. Paul provided wisdom to Timothy as he would aid any to any young pastor who's shepherding the flock, a seasoned pastor, if you will, to a young, newer pastor, providing encouragement and instruction, help in the areas of teaching and leadership and practicing one's faith, sound doctrine and church order and the like. And in the sixth chapter, he comes to a place where he's winding down and he is providing some very helpful information to people to Timothy to deal with people who are uh, in the church and have a secular perspective, or maybe they're outside on the fringe and they're influencing church leaders. And and Paul is, is getting to the heart of the matter with what matters most, where, where your uh, priorities are. And he encourages Timothy to point the leadership back to the very basics of what the Christian life is all about, godliness and contentment. In verse 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness and contentment. 
this is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning as we look at uh, managing our financial stress that can result from money and finances. If you're looking in your bulletin, there's a place to take notes, and you'll see that the big idea here is that by living with godliness and contentment, we're able to find God's peace in our budget. Godliness and contentment. You say, what are those, Pastor Bob? Godliness means that we honor God with our finances. Godliness in general, that we honor God, that we revere God, that we seek to live a good and righteous life, imitating Jesus, as Paul says elsewhere. And contentment means that we trust God to satisfy our needs. So we're seeking to live godly lives with his help, and we're seeking to be content or to trust God to meet all of our needs. And Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. To say it short, honor God with our finances, trust God to meet our needs. And we look to Scripture for help. I like to look at Scripture as a mirror. We open the Scripture and we see it as a, a way to reflect on how we are to live life. So many people use the Bible as a club. They use it to unfairly or unreasonably judge people, to make people feel guilty about all the things that they should be doing or should not be doing, or things that they're not doing well. And the Bible is used to uh, make people feel small and guilty. And I don't believe that is proper at all. I love that we can open the scripture, as James says, and it is a mirror for our lives. The Bible is a way for us to take an honest look at ourselves and to see what's really going on. When I look to the Bible regarding money stress, it reflects situations in life that can cause such stress. And I want to say, sometimes there are things that are beyond our control. Crisis situations like loss of a job or a divorce or death of a loved one or unexpected medical situations or an accident. Things that are beyond our control that can cause us to have financial problems and then the stress that comes with it. Financial stress can also come from a lack of contentment when we're just not satisfied with what we have and we want more and more. Often we want more and more to please other people who we don't even care for anyway. There's a lack of contentment. Or sometimes our identity gets wrapped up in stuff that we want or, or don't have and we want. It can be all-consuming, and it can lead to so many problems. And other times, we don't manage what we've been given responsibly, and we can have stress as a result of it. So I want to see uh, how this plays out as we walk through briefly these verses that Paul gives us. Verse 6, as you heard, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a core statement. Godliness that we honor God in our lives and with our finances. And contentment means that we seek to trust God with all that we've been given. Everything comes from God. When 
we honor God, we seek to be generous with what we've been given, and we seek to have peace and not want more and more. Paul says in verse 7 that we were born with nothing and we leave with nothing. He's picking up on the words of Job, where Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. In verse 8, he reminds us that contentment is simply having our needs met, which is reflective of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33, just a couple of those verses, where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. It's not life more than food or more than the body, more than clothing. And then in verse 31, he says, so do not worry about what you will eat, what you shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He he meets our needs. We can trust God to meet our needs, not to give us more than we need, but that God will meet our needs. It reminds me of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But what does that mean? Some people hear those words, I shall not want, and they're confused. What does that mean? Perhaps it could be said this way. There is nothing I lack. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. Or another translation, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Rabbi Harold Kushner in his devotional on the 23rd Psalm expresses it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. What more do I need? I like that. This is a statement of satisfaction, of sufficiency, of contentment that goes against the grain of our hyper-materialistic, consumeristic society. Paul is instructing Timothy that he doesn't want the leaders and others in the churches at Ephesus to fall into a trap. In verse 9, he, he uses a, a word that, that means pitch. It's a tar-like substance that was used back in the Old Testament to seal the ark that Noah and his family and all of the animals went into. It, it, it sealed it from the water coming inside. And then it's also the same material that sealed the basket that Moses was placed in when his mother put him in the Nile. Paul says, I don't want Christians to get stuck. Help them to see the, the bigger picture of trusting God rather than trusting in things, he says there. And then in verse 10, a verse that we often misinterpret or hear misinterpreted, sometimes people will say money is the root of all evil. But Paul clearly writes, the love of money is a root of all evil. When we love money and chase after all the things that we think that it can do, it can cause us to go down a very dark path and have all kinds of problems. The word translated love of money is from a Greek word, philarguria. It's from two words, philos, love, and agoras, silver. It's where we get the chemical, uh, the chemical abbreviation for silver, AG. And Paul says, please do not have a love 
of money. It causes people to long for or to reach for things that can lead them down a difficult path, to cause unneeded stress and strain. This word reaching, extending, can be seen today in how many people are overextended in debt. The average car payment for a new car in 2023, $717 per month. Used car, 563 It's easy for us to get overextended and have so much debt. So how do we honor God as we, as we look to him? How do we honor God? We honor God by giving back to God. The Bible gives us the tithe, 10% of our first fruits, our first and best, as a way that we honor God. There are a number of scriptures you've heard about that. Today, as Phyllis said, from Proverbs was one of them. I always remember what Dr. Peter James Fleming said about this back when I attended First Baptist Richmond when in seminary. He said, some people are not in a position to give 10% of their gross income. He said, find your percentage and stick to it. Find your percentage and stick to it. Start somewhere, and we know that as the, the Scripture teaches that God will honor that. But start somewhere and stick to it. Second, save for the future, meaning the first 10% to the Lord, the second 10% saving for the future, putting money in an emergency fund to help with unexpected things, saving for the future, and then living on the other 80%. That's third, budgeting to live. So tithing 10%, saving 10%, and then the other 80% budgeting to live for all of our other living expenses. These are ways that we can honor God with our finances. And then, with that said, we can trust God because God loves us. God loves us. Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Even though, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? He loves us. We need to remember that God has more than enough. Paul writes, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. God doesn't supply our needs based on our resources. God supplies our needs based on God's resources. He has more than enough. And lastly, God values us. We can trust God because God values us. We are so important that God shed his own blood in his coming as Christ Jesus that we might have a relationship with him, be forgiven of our sins, and through Christ have the opportunity for eternal life. God values us so much so that he shed his precious blood for us on Calvary's cross. And the hymn writer expresses that great love for us, which is enough. In the hymn, my, found, my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died 